We're in a series of messages that we're calling On Earth as It Is in Heaven, and this is a petition that, uh, that Jesus encourages and commands his church to pray that heaven would come to earth. And, and we really believe that the vision that God has given us as New City Church is one that will accomplish that in this city if the Lord helps us. Uh, so this is the third week of the series. The first week we looked at the vision of the church. And the vision, our vision is to live as the family of God together, uh, demonstrating and proclaiming the gospel to one another in our city. So you see, it's about living as family, but the family is doing something together where, where it's all about the gospel for us. The second week, we talked about our first value, which is that we're humbled by grace and depending on the Spirit. So God's grace brings us to the point of humility and it keeps us tethered to him. That's what we talked about last week. We talked about weakness and and how God's strength is displayed in our weakness. This week, we're talking about this value that we are in the city and for the city. So when when the the Lord led us to purchase this facility, uh, we we did a series of messages called In the City, For the City. And and it it was really all about uh, the fact that we desire to be an outward-facing church, that, that, that this building is not a destination, but it's an outpost of kingdom ministry. And so we may gather here together as a church, but we're being sent as missionaries and light in, into a dark world each and every week. And so, um, so, that, so that's what we're going to be talking about today. When Megan and I were in youth ministry in Indianapolis for four years, um, we, had, uh, we had a guy on our team named Joe, and Joe... Um, Joe was a firefighter. So just to catch you up to speed, a firefighter is the guy that runs into the building when everybody else is running out, okay? Joe was just a great guy. And I recruited him to work on our student ministry team. And he's like, hey, man, like, here's the deal. Like, um, you know, I'm not real good at football, and I don't play Call of Duty. So I don't know if this is going to work out. <laughs> and I said, you're just the guy that I want. And, and, and Joe, you know, Joe struggled uh, initially to, to kind of take me up on my offer, but as he prayed about it, he, he knew that God was calling him to it. And Joe was so amazing with the kids. And what made Joe amazing with our students, with the middle school boys, right? If you have middle school boys, I mean, you, you, and you have somebody that can connect with them, you're like, praise the Lord. This is amazing, right? This is amazing. Somebody outside of your family. And Joe was that guy for many of our young, young men. And uh, what made Joe uh, so great is that he was just a faithfully present man. He was faithfully present in the lives of our students. I've got another friend that uh, his, his vision for life is this. It's love God, love people, and show up. Love God, love people, and show up. So today what we're going to be talking about in, in this message is the fact that, that because Jesus showed up in this world, we're called to show up in this world as the church, all right? Because Jesus showed up in this world, we're called to show up in this world as the church. So our big idea of where we're headed before we get into Philippians 2 is this. God's presence in our lives makes us faithfully present people. We are people by nature that show up in each other's lives and in the lives of, of people in this world around us. So let's look at Philippians chapter 2. If you've got a Bible, crack it open to there. We're going to be looking at really the, the first 18 verses in one way or another. First point is this. Jesus showed up, and what we see is that salvation is to be worked out through us, all right? So Philippians chapter 2, let me give you a little background here. This is a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a church in Philippi. It's actually his most encouraging letter that he wrote. He was so happy for this church. He was so joyful. Do you know where Paul was when he wrote it? In prison in Rome, right? That's where he was at. And so you see that he has this non-circumstantial joy that he exudes and wants people to get. 
Well, Philippians chapter 2, the first thing that Paul talks about is he looks at Jesus. He looks at how Jesus showed up, why Jesus showed up, and what that means for the church. And I feel like it's really important that we understand how Jesus came if we're to show up in the world like Jesus showed up in the world, all right? So the first, the first few verses of Philippians, really verses 5 through 7 are really interesting. Let's look at how Jesus showed up here. Uh, let me read uh, verses 5 through 7. Paul says this, <clears throat> Have this mind among yourselves, to the church, corporately, which is yours in Christ Jesus, whom... Though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. So what we see about Jesus, and that, that word empty right there, it, it's like this self-emptying glory. It's a Greek word called kenosis. It's a really beautiful word, very rare word to see in the scriptures. But some people think, okay, this is saying that Jesus emptied himself of his divinity. That's not what he's saying here. What this verse is saying is that Jesus could have opted out of the suffering by nature of his perfect relationship with his father. He didn't have to suffer. He didn't have to endure it. But the will of his father is that he would suffer a sinner's death in our stead, in our place. And because of this, Jesus empties himself of his right uh, to, to have a prestigious life, to, to, be a, to be a king that everyone you know, bowed down to and, and honored and, and he wouldn't suffer any of the things that we suffered. But he came as first and foremost as a servant. He will come as a conquering king, but he initially came to this world as a servant to serve the world. He was born in the likeness of men and Jesus condescended to our level and our frailty. And he lived his entire life faithfully present before his father and before those he came to save. He lived his life faithfully present. So that, that's so important because if we're called to show up as the church, we're called to show up the same way Jesus showed up in the world, right? As servants. So how did Jesus show up? Well, he, he, he showed up um, to, to, be, to obey his father's will perfectly. Let's pick up in, in verse 8 here. It says this, And being found in human form, Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So, so Jesus obeys all the way to the end. And you, if you remember in uh, John chapter, I think it's 16, 17, Jesus is in the, the garden of Gethsemane and he says, Father, if there's any other way, I want to go that way. But I want your will more than anything else. If there's any other way, let this cut pass. But if not, I want to follow you to the end. And what we see that happens when Jesus goes to the cross is he didn't just go to the he didn't just go and die in our place, but he dies on a cross. And the significance of the cross can really be found in Galatians chapter three, where it says that people that died on a cross were people that were believed to be cursed, cut off from God. Now, church, if you read Genesis chapter three, that's who we are. We are cursed, cut off from God. Each and every person in this room, apart from Jesus. You are cursed. You are cut off from God. It's so important to understand that because you won't need Jesus. You'll think you don't need Jesus if you don't understand that. So Jesus becomes cursed, and he stands in our place, and he's resurrected so that we can find life in his name. So what this means for us, because what, what, what Jesus has done, you know, he obeyed his Father to the end. This means that every person must have an answer for the name of Jesus, and, and he writes this in, in verses 9 through 11. He says, Therefore, because Je what Jesus has done and how he's come and why he's come to do it, 
God has highly exalted Jesus because he came as a servant. God has highly exalted his son Jesus and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, get, get this word here, it's very specific, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And it's all to the glory of God the Father. So, so what this means is that this is God's plan for you to have any kind of relationship with him. It's through Jesus. It's not through anything else. And it's proven through how Jesus showed up and what he came to do. And so what does it mean for us? It means, it means that in my lifetime and your lifetime, there's only one place we will ever find life. And that is by bowing our knee to Jesus. Now here's the thing. You can bow your knee to Jesus and call him Lord today this, in this life, and you'll find joy, you'll find life. You'll find glimpses of heaven meeting earth, even through the misery and the pain. And, and the things that Jesus endured, we will partake of some of those things as well. And we ultimately know that forever and eternity we'll find life. But on the other side of that, if you do not bow your knee to Jesus and call him Lord and live your life as if, if he's Lord, you still will bow your knee to Jesus. That's what the scripture teaches. You'll still bow. And you'll see that there could have been life, but you'll never enter into it. And that's why it's, it's so crucial for us to understand how Jesus came, why he came, and then what that means for us. Because we won't know how to live as the church apart from this. What we see is that we really have no rights of our own. That when we, when we surrender our life to Jesus, he becomes our life. And we live according to his standards. And so that's who we are as a church. And so we pick up in Philippians 2.12. And we see that because the Lord Jesus called his church to show up, uh, the Lord Jesus calls his church to show up because he shows up. So here's how he calls us to show up, church. Verse 12. Therefore, because of what Jesus has done, he's saying, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, O Philippian church, so now not only in my presence when I'm in town and, and, and you're getting the attaboy from me and the other, the other disciples, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is working in you to will and to work for his good pleasure. So because Jesus has obeyed fully and we call on his name for salvation, we are called to obey in a certain way is what he's saying. He's, he says that we are called to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. He doesn't say to work for your salvation. This is how most people think about the Christian life. They even go to churches that preach the gospel, that say you can't earn anything. But church, he doesn't say work for your salvation. There's nothing that you can do, the best deed imaginable, that can add any favor in your account on God's behalf other than proclaiming Christ. He doesn't say work for your salvation. He doesn't even say work toward your salvation in a way where you're kind of like, well, maybe I've done enough, maybe I haven't. He doesn't say work at your salvation. You know, maybe you can finally get there. No, he says, work out your salvation. So what that tells us is that we already obtained salvation through faith, but we are called to work it out in the world, in the church. Now, you think about, you think about salvation, there's all these facets of salvation. Some people think about salvation as something that happened in the past. You know, this is conversion. This is what happens when you proclaim Christ. You're justified, you're adopted, you're brought into his family. Others of us think about salvation as this future thing. You know, the world's going to hell in a handbasket. Can't wait till Jesus returns. And, and so we, we look forward to glorification when he'll renew and redeem all things. But what Paul's talking about here is 
what the Bible calls sanctification, which is, sanctification is this, and it, there's lots of great definitions, but here's basically what it is. It's a transformative cooperation with the Holy Spirit that makes our lives look more like Jesus. So God is so pleased to include us in his work, even though it's him working in and through us. So we have a part of obedience, just like Jesus had a part of obedience. We have a part of obedience that builds the kingdom, not only in our lives, but also in this world. The, the other thing that we notice about this working out of our salvation, and, and really, in, in the Greek, it really says the, the word, um, it really says work your salvation. So it's, so, so when you think about it like that, and then you notice that both of the, world, the words are plural that he's talking about, he's actually not just talking about this individual endeavor that we're on, but he's talking about this corporate endeavor. They're plural words that, that we as a church are called to work towards something together. And that by working towards something together, namely our salvation, that we are sending a message in the midst of the world that God is good. We're sending something to the world that they can't receive otherwise. That in other words, our unity as a church is the greatest apologetic about the faith. It's the greatest defense of the faith. It's that this group of diverse people from diverse places with diverse life circumstances and situations, when they have one heart in mind, it sends a message that nothing else can send in the world. That's what the gospel does. And so we see in Philippians 2, two that, that really his, his, his heart is that he says, complete my joy, verse two, by being of the same mind and having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. So his, his entire goal is that we would have one heart and one mind. And you read this in, in Acts chapter two when, when, the, when the scriptures talk about, you know, uh, all the believers were together and they had all things in common. Like, they didn't have all things in common. They weren't all from Jerusalem. You know, they didn't all grow up in the same kind of house. They didn't all have the same kind of money. They didn't, they didn't all have the same kind of families. No, everything that mattered in the kingdom sense, they had in common is what he was saying. This is what God has called us to. And, and not only that, but Paul gives us the good news that it's actually God that's doing the work through us. And this is why it's so painful for me when I see disunity in the church. And I would say in general, the church is, is, is um, divided in a lot of ways right now. In our church, we've got some little glimpses of it, and it just breaks my heart. I lose sleep about it. Because I want so much for us to focus on the things that matter and to live with one heart and one mind. I just want it more than anything. And, um, but God is, God is so good to us because he calls us to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. And what that means is, is that we're called to work, work our salvation with a reverent heart, that we might be wrong about a situation, that we might not always have the right answers. He's called us to be humble in that regard. And, and when we consider the Lord and who he is, it leads to humility and reverence with fear and trembling. This isn't ungodly fear, but this is a godly fear that actually God knows what he's doing, and therefore I'm going to obey because I don't know what I'm doing. That's the, that's, that's the type of reverence that he calls us to walk it out. And, and the beauty of it is, is that we're working our salvation in cooperation with him. It's actually him working in and through us. Have you ever been, let me ask you this question. Have you ever been a part of something that's like you are a part of a team or a part of a project that was something like super redemptive and, and beautiful and you just got to play a small part of it? Anybody ever done that before? You've been a part of something like that. It's good to know. It's good to know, right? It's, 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 it's encouraging when your life can mean something in the grand scheme of things and you just play a little part. Um, 
my son Caden uh, came downstairs. This is probably six years ago. I was building a wall in the basement. I was framing it out with my nailer, you know, trying not to shoot my leg. And I did that one time. That wasn't fun. But um, it was, it was, we're almost finished with the project. Had about an hour or two left on it. And Caden uh, and stumbles down the stairs at one point. And he's two, and he's got his Fisher-Price toolbox and his plastic hammer. And he says, Dad, I'm ready to work. And uh, I said, okay, buddy, come on over. Let's work together. And he stayed down there with me, what seemed like an eternity for, for him. And I've told the story a lot because it's such a great illustration. But about 30 or 45 minutes after he had been working with me, he jets up the stairs and finds Megan. He says, Mommy, come and look and see what I have built. That plastic camera would have been destroyed if it hit a three and a half inch framing nail, right? I mean, there's, there's, he didn't build anything, right? But in his mind, he was with dad. Dad was building it. He couldn't tell who was building what. All he knows is that we finished that wall together. Guys, that's what it looks like to work our salvation out in community. It doesn't matter whose gifts work what out, how much God is doing, how much God is doing without us, how much God is doing in and through us. It's all the Lord's. And he calls us to work our salvation. And because Jesus has showed up when we couldn't save ourselves and he saved us, we are called to show up in the world as we work our salvation. So let's keep looking at Philippians chapter two. This is the last point here. The church shows up. Salvation is worked out among us in the midst of the world. So um, Philippians 2, 14 through 18. So because Jesus has showed up, he's incarnated himself into the world. He's saved us, he's humbled himself. And he's called us to work our salvation out in community together in the midst of the world, right? So let's see how he's called us to work it out in the midst of the world as a community. He says this, do all things as you're working your salvation in the midst of the world without grumbling or disputing. It's it's funny that he would use those two words of all the words he could use, right? That you may be blameless and innocent. He wants to prove our innocence in the midst of the world. Children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world holding fast to the word of life that in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in vain. He gets personal here. Even if I'm to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I'm glad to rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. He's so joyful in prison about what God wants to do through this church. And he's happy to pour himself out in prison if it'll just help a little bit, he's saying. So he says, He's saying, work our salvation without grumbling or disputing. Isn't this a timely word for the church? It's so timely. Because he doesn't say, you know, he doesn't use like a big boisterous word about what's causing division, or he doesn't call an individual out or anything like that in this scenario. But what he, what he calls out is the grumbling in the church. You know what grumbling is? It's, it's, it's the muted comments beneath the surface said under our breath that lead to a spirit of disunity in the church. It's the things that are under the surface that come out in subtle little comments that are the most toxic things in the church. Amen? They are. We've both participated, right? We've done it before, and we've experienced it. It's been done to us before. It's no fun. It's no fun at all. And the call for the church is to live with the humility of Jesus. You know, 
Philippians 2 says Jesus didn't cling to his rights. He did not cling to leverage the full-on access he had with his father when life got hard or when he got misunderstood or when people made false claims about him. He didn't didn't cling to any of that, but he clung to Jesus. He clung to his father in heaven uh, even though he suffered and he was misunderstood. And the church that is full of grumblers and complainers is a church that has not renounced its right to be right. It's a church that has not taken up the call as a servant. And, you know, one of our elders, one of your elders, reminded me of something this week that was so helpful. I was, I was tempted to grumble and complain. I probably did a little. I repented to the guys about this. But he reminded me that, you know, none of us are really at our best right now. Amen? We're just, we're just not. We're just not at our best, and there's lots of reasons why. And frankly, some of us are at our worst right now. And it's a reason to be humble before the Lord in community with others. Um, I'm reminded of this Ian McLaren quote where he says, uh, basically, be kind because everyone's fighting a hard battle. And, uh, and, and that was a reminder and somewhat of a rebuke for me. Um, so let me just ask you this. I mean, I was confronted by it this week, but where is it that you're grumbling and complaining right now? Where are the subtle things that you just, you know, kind of, weasel into conversations, even with your spouse or your children, that are telling a different tale of the church than the one that Jesus has for us? Where, where is that for you? And, and, and what would it look like for you to repent this week? Repentance, it's vertical, but it's also horizontal, right? Maybe there are some things that have caused division in your family. Maybe there are some things that have caused division in our church. Maybe there's some things that have caused division just in your workplace. And, um, you know, maybe the most holy thing that you could do this week is to pick up the phone after service today or, or show up at somebody's house or take somebody out to lunch if you're doing that and, and, uh, and confess your sin and, and be restored. Because we're called to walk and work out our faith as a church and community in the midst of the world. And a church that is grumbling and complaining um, is not doing that. The reason why he says it's so dangerous to grumble and complain as a church is because the Lord is so eager to prove our blamelessness and our innocence before the world. Most of the time, we try to prove ourselves as innocent. We try to prove ourselves as blameless as we get caught up in a situation. But the Lord really wants to do this on our behalf. He wants to prove that we're blameless and we're innocent, as, as uh, uh, verse 15 says. And, and what is blamelessness? Blamelessness doesn't mean that you don't sin. Because that's impossible. We just looked at that in 1 John. 1 John says, you're a liar if you say you don't have any sin. Right? Ooh. So... So it doesn't mean that, but it means that you do something with your sin. That's what it means to be blameless, that, that you repent of your sin. We deal with our sin as they come. And to be innocent means that we're pure. It means that we're not guilty anymore. So the Lord wants to prove that you're blameless and that you're innocent. Why? So that you can boldly love the world with your life. Because when you have confidence that you're blameless, that God's not holding anything against you, and that others shouldn't because you've repented, and that you're innocent, that in eternity you're going to be pure and holy before him just like you are right now. When you know those two things, you have confidence before the Lord and before the world. And the world and the church need the confidence that comes from the gospel. 
That's what they need more than anything else. That's what the church needs more than anything else, that we may be able to boldly love one another. The second thing I want you to notice is that he calls us to do this in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. If there was ever any consideration that America or the world wasn't crooked and twisted, I'm sure that's been shaken out of you now, right? Okay, you're there, you understand, okay. Paul's, he's reading our mail here, right? It's crooked and twisted, okay, good. Glad we got that out of our system. The call doesn't change though. We're called to walk, to work out our salvation in the midst of this crooked and twisted generation, in the midst of this world, in the midst of this city. We're called to that. And you might say, Pastor, look, Lawrenceville isn't really a city. I mean, come on. It doesn't have any high, high rises, really, except the theater. That thing's getting pretty tall. Or, you know, uh, you know, if I wanted to take public transit to get to work, it would take me six hours, you know? <laughs> like, like, we're not really a city. You know, Atlanta's the city. Did you know that Gwinnett County has more people in it than Jerusalem did during festival seasons? You know that. This. Did you, did you know that Gwinnett County, if it were a state, has a larger population than five actual states? Did you know that? Gwinnett County has a county seat, the place where all the government that runs the, the, uh, the, the, the county comes from. It's Lawrenceville. It's right here. That's why this church is right here. Because my, my hope in my prayer is that the residents of Gwinnett County and Lawrenceville specifically would miss New City, New City Church if we were to disappear. Not just because we did good church services and, and we had a good time, we learned God's word in here, but because when New City Church is in Lawrenceville, in Gwinnett County, that heaven meets earth a little bit more. That's my hope. That's why we're down here. That's why we are called to do what we're doing here. The only way that a church can help the city of man become more like the city of God is to be embedded in the city as we cling to the word of life. As we cling to the word of life, we have to be embedded in our community. The closer that we are to the problems of a community, the closer we are to the solutions of a community. That's why we're here. We fully expect to be immersed in the life of the city. Not just the things that are, that are fun and exciting in the events, but also the problems and the, the heartbreak of the community. That's why we want to be here. That's why you're going to hear airplanes going over, you know, people playing loud music and trains going by, because we want to be in the midst of it all. Because God's called us to it. And I know that some of you live on different, different parts of Gwinnett and you kind of come in for that. We're here. We're not neglecting where God's called you to live. We're just saying that this is kind of the epicenter of our calling here. And um, the word teaches us that we can pick up the towel now. And, and the, the, way, the only way to see the city of man reflect the city of God is to do what Jesus did. is to live as servants, to pick up the towel. And so... Um, if we take any other posture than, than servants in our community that God's called us to as we're working our salvation as a community together, do you know what we, we're actually doing to the, the city? We're, we're plundering the city. Do you know what it means to plunder a city? In the book of Joshua, you see all kinds of illustrations of it where they would come in and they would take over a city and you know, take, take people as slaves and then they would, they would take all of the most valuable things to them out of the city. You see, you, what I see a lot of Christians doing in the communities they live in is plundering their cities. They take the arts, the good schools, the great home values, and they completely neglect the fatherless, the homeless, the hungry, the income inequality and injustices that are in their communities. What would it be like for us as a church to not plunder the city? To not just take the things that we really like and 
and kind of avoid all the other things. Because that's what it means to be in the city and for the city is that you seek the welfare of the whole city. And the Lord has put his light in us through the gospel to shine in the world. This is what Paul, Paul says here. He says, he says, even though you're living in the midst of this crooked and twisted generation, you're called to shine as light. And, and Paul reminds us of what this is like in 2 Corinthians 4. He says, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Now, this is creation language, okay? Let light shine out of darkness. Isn't that one of the days of creation? I'm pretty sure it is, right? So what, what Paul is saying in here is that because we're new creations, he'll say this later in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, because we're new creations, God has shined his light in us, making us new creations so that we can shine in the world. Now, when you think about what it means to shine, you think about the moon. The, the moon doesn't have to try to shine. It just does because it reflects the sun, right? When you think about what it means to shine, when we're walking in the light as he's in the light, it's an incredibly passive activity for the church. We shine because we bear his image and we walk in fellowship with him. It reminds me of John chapter 15 where, where, where the Lord calls us to abide in him so that we can bear much fruit. It's a passive activity when we're walking in fellowship. The work is to remain tethered to the Lord and to live in community as a church. And we shine, we just can't help it. We just bring light to dark places because we're doing God's will. It's pretty effortless when we're doing it like that. And because of this, because Jesus showed up and he's called us to show up, what, how he's called us to show up is just like Joe did on my student ministry team, to show up as a faith, in, in a faithfully present way. Staff team and I are reading this book called To Change the World by James Davison Hunter. And I want to read you a little excerpt out of this book that talks about this. He says this, If indeed there is a hope or an imaginable prospect for human flourishing in the contemporary world, it begins when the word of shalom or peace, the gospel, becomes flesh in us, and not only flesh in us, but enacted through us toward those with whom we live in the task we are given, and in the spheres of influence we operate. In other words, when the gospel starts flowing through us, like Sherry was talking about, not only in the places we want it to, but in the places we can't help for it too. And so he says, when the word of all flourishing, defined by the love of Christ, becomes flesh in us and in our relationships with others, even with the tasks that we're given and with our spheres of influence, where absence was before, it gives way to presence. So we are no longer inactive and withdrawn, but we're faithfully present because Jesus was faithfully present. In the word we speak to each other and the, word, and the word becomes authentic and trustworthy because it's lived out through our lives. This is the heart of the theology of faithful presence. So to be a city, to be in the city and for the city means that we become faithfully present people, not just individually, but corporately. I just wanna share three things as I land the plane here on what faithful presence could look like for us. It's not exhaustive, but three little vignettes for you. Well, the first thing is, is that we live as the church. And what this means is, wherever New City Church is, wherever you are, New City Church is, all right? Wherever you are, New City Church is. Paul had this, this group of Christians in Corinth that was, that they really wanted Paul to write this lofty recommendation letter so that they could prove that he was actually an apostle and he was a prophet and he was the real deal. And Paul comes back to him in 2 Corinthians chapter three and he says, hey, look, I hate to break it to you guys, but you're the letter. 
Like you are the letter of recommendation. And, and so what I want to say to you, church, is that you're the letter. You're the letter of light to the world for New City Church. I, I, have, I have people that come up to me sometimes, and, and, uh, and it's an innocent question. They'll ask a question like this. Where, uh, where are your outreach? What, what outreach ministry are you guys doing in the community? And they don't mean it like this, but here's what I hear in my flesh. What ways can you organize for me to serve in this community? I, I hear, it's in my flesh. I told you I'm, I'm a bad dude, but I, I hear it that way and I don't mean to. And what I want to say every time, and I'll say it here just in love, is that wherever you are is the outreach ministry of New City Church. Wherever you're at, on your cul-de-sac, we got an outreach event going on there. In the, in the boardroom of your office, New City Church is doing outreach there. At Pine Valley or Upper Nine, or we're serving with Upper 90 on the soccer field or Youth for Christ in the middle school. Yeah, our outreach is there. On the square at a restaurant on a Friday night, outreach ministry is there too. Because the reality is everywhere that you are with God's spirit living in you and your commitment to our local body, New City Church is. And that, that's my heartbeat for us is that we would see our lives as an extension of the kingdom of God no matter where we're at in every interaction that we have in this community, both inside the church and outside the church. And that changes everything because when you're grocery shopping, you are the letter. When you're serving children, you are the letter. When you're disciplining your children, you are the letter. When you are loving your spouse, you are the letter. Our outreach ministry is everywhere that you are in the spheres of influence that you have and the relationships you have in this community. And we're called to faithfully live present with that in mind. Second thing is this, is we're living as hopeful exiles. And here's what that means. It means that we're invested, but we're not home yet. That we're invested today, but we're not home yet. <clears throat> and uh, when you understand that the world is not your home, uh, Paul says that our, that our citizenship is in heaven, but then Jeremiah says that we're called to seek the welfare of the city, right? When you understand that the world isn't your home, but you're called to invest in it, you stop treating the world and your relationships in it like a rental car. Do you know what I mean when I say that? Have you ever driven a rental car before, recently? Did you drive it faster or more recklessly than you do your own car? Jenna is shaking her head really big. Okay, I'm sorry. Don't buy that rental car when it's up for lease, uh, if the lease is over. Okay, so the point is this, is that, is that um, when we're not invested, we don't take care of things. And the time has passed for us not to be invested in this community. Um, we met in the school for five and a half years. Now we're making a statement by being here. Let's invest fully in the relationships that God brings to us here. And stop treating the, the relationships that God has given to us as, as like a rental car. And, and Jeremiah says this to a group of homesick exiles who, who really just want to go home to the Lord or, or be back in Jerusalem. He says, hey, look, because I'm sovereign over everything, here's how you're called to live. And it's, it's, a, it's a passage we use often. He says this. He says, um, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I've sent the Lord has sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. He says this, hey, build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat of the produce, take wives and have sons and daughters and take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters and multiply there and do not decrease. In other words, invest fully where God has you. And I know some of you, um, you can't wait to get out of Lawrenceville. This is just a pit stop for you. You know, God's sovereign over your pit stop, don't you? And it might become a long-term thing. Live like it today. For some of you, this is home. You've arrived. 
Well, let's see heaven come to earth through your investment in it, all right? And he goes on to actually say this, which is the key of the whole passage. He says, seek the welfare of the city, the well-being, the shalom of the city for, that I've sent you into exile for when, uh, and pray to the Lord on its behalf for in its welfare, you find your own welfare. In other words, if you stop treating the place and the people that God has, has you invested in right now like a rental car, it's gonna be better for your soul. That's what he's saying. So what's it look like for you to invest in the community that God's called you to right now to the people that God's called you to, even though maybe it's not your desire to be here long-term. Wherever you are, be there. That's what this passage is saying. Even though we're not home yet, we're called to invest today. And Lawrenceville and Gwinnett should be a better place because this church is here. Not because necessarily the programs that we do, because the people that are rubbing shoulders with New City Church are blessed because you're around, because you're shining light. Lastly, we're called to live as servants of the king. And that means this, that we're moving in, not moving out. We're moving in toward hard things, difficult things, not out away from them. Not, not, using, not using our you know, relational capital or privilege or whatever you want to call it to get out of situations, but instead moving in with the power of the spirit to address things that are broken around us, relationships that are broken around us. And it's, it's only when the Spirit enables us to get engaged in our community and in the lives of the people in our community and in our church that we are able to get close to the mess of life without being consumed by it. Did you hear that? It's only when you're driven by the Spirit that you can get close to the problems of the world and not be consumed by them. And, and when we get consumed, we, we, we hit the eject button and we get out of there because that wasn't fun. My back was up against the wall. I don't want to experience that anymore. And so we live our lives depending on our flesh and avoiding every broken relationship, every, every hard conversation that we possibly can. And that's where the God wants to shine the light. Uh, there, there was a situation when, right after we planted the church, we moved, uh, we were at Richard's Middle School and we just moved into the home that we live in now that had a basement. And uh, we'd met this family that, uh, that at the time was homeless uh, in Gwinnett. And to be homeless in Gwinnett means that you lived in a, live in an extended stay hotel. That's just the face of it here. Um, and they were living in an extended stay hotel because dad had left and left them in a really bad place. And, um, and we became great friends with them. So much to the fact that they were in our missional community in my living room on a weekly basis for about a year or so. And one day, one of the children went downstairs, and they saw that we had this entire basement downstairs, had a bedroom and a bathroom, and, uh, and they, they saw it, and, and they said, I overheard them say to mom, mom, it's like they have a whole other house downstairs. We could just live here. And, and my heart just sank, because immediately I felt on the hook in this uncomfortable conversation. And so I started like in my flesh kind of pushing back and like, hey, let's get on back upstairs. You guys don't need to look at this. And hey, why don't you guys, you know, it's getting late. You need to get home tonight. I, I didn't want to address the conversation anymore because I felt so uncomfortable for the ask. And, um, and the reality was is that it was drawing out something in me. It was drawing out this reality that, that I wasn't willing for the Lord to use my house as his house for somebody if they needed it. And I'm not saying that everybody's called to that, but I was just resistant to the opportunity, to be honest. And so the Lord began dealing with me and, and Megan, and, and, uh, and we started praying through it. And I got to this place where I'm like, Lord, if it's your will, that, that's great. Use this place as your place. 
And uh, it took, it was a long, it was a long road, um, but they ended up finding something else. But the, the point is this, when you enter into the brokenness around you and you get close to the problems of the world, we've got to be in touch, in tune with the spirit and prayerfully consider whatever the Lord has for us. Because we sinfully think that we know what's best and oftentimes we don't even ask the Lord. And what it does is it inadvertently keeps us distant from the problems of the world by virtue of just our ability to be away from them. And people that live, a lot of people that live in the city, they can't avoid the problems of the world like some of us can. And as a church, we're called to just move in and move toward it, not away from it. And, and that's gonna mean personal sacrifice sometimes. Sometimes that'll be monetary sacrifice. Sometimes it'll be relational sacrifice that you just enter in and be a friend. Whatever it is, we've got to believe that the Lord has called us to move toward it and not away from it. And, and what begins to happen as we live this way is that there are these little flickers of light in a dark place and people take note of it, and they see that it's because of Jesus. There's stories told about Robert Louis Stevenson. He's an author of some classic books like Treasure Island uh, and uh, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, and, and uh, a great little book if you haven't read it. But um, he grew up in 18th century Scotland, and uh, they, didn't, they didn't have, like, electricity for their streetlights there. And so what he would do, his parents told the story about what he would do. And he would, uh, he, would, he would stare out the, the front window when the lamplighter would come by each night. And the lamplighter was this guy that'd carry a lighter around, um, like a little torch thing and, and a ladder. And he would go and light each of the lamps on the street. And, uh, and, and what, uh, what Stevenson said to his parents one night when he was just enthralled with it, is he said, um, it's like he's punching holes in the darkness. And I just, it just stuck with me when I, when I heard that because I think that's exactly what the kingdom of God is doing in Lawrenceville, is that we're in the city for the city so that we can punch holes in the darkness together. And it'll be a beautiful testimony about what God wants to do in our midst. Let's pray together. Father, um, we just confess that, um, that Lord, it's, it's, not, it's not easy to live in this world and to live faithfully present right now. But... Um, but our power and our strength doesn't come from within ourselves. Lord, the, the most power, powerful and strong believers in this world are the ones that are most dependent upon you. And so Lord, we just ask that you would help us to walk out and work out our, our salvation together in the midst of a crooked and, and twisted generation so that we can shine as light, Lord. We, 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 we don't wanna be uh, we want you to prove us as blameless and innocent, not because we're great, because you're good, Lord. And Father, we just pray uh, that you would, you would, that, that we can look back five years from now and see the relationships and the faces that make up this congregation that came from something that you sparked in this sermon this morning, Lord. Would you help us to be faithfully present people in the city and for the city, knowing that in its welfare, our welfare is found. And where our children, Lord, where they, where they grew up living that way, living in a way where they move toward the problems of the world, not away because they've got the Spirit of God living inside of them. So Father, it's a, it's a bold ask. We pray that you'd help us to be faithfully present wherever you have us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.